Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Stephanie Hoffman. We're here with Pascal Brooks at Brooks Winery, and it's September 25th. And we'll start with our very first question, which is, why wine? It's part of who I am and where I come from. Um, It's kind of funny hearing it as a question, um, as if I chose, but it's more of um, the luck of the draw. I was very lucky to be born to my father and to have my aunt, who was the one that then made this business um, what it was. But realizing the older I get how cool wine is and how lucky I was to be in that position, it's, you know, why wine is maybe more of a question for my future and if I want to go into it. But instead, it's, um, for me, it's just so inherent. It's so much a part of my background. So good food and good wine was always just there. So it's definitely a good thing. I'm very lucky. Um, so what was it like growing up around the wine industry? Um, you meet really eclectic people and very... I think how I always think about it is you have a group of people that you know have to be passionate and have to have an aggressive or obsessive trait in them to do this kind of work. And I don't really know too much of the taste of that work, but I can appreciate the scope of how much one has to do in order to be successful. And you know, when it's your product or your company on the line, you happen to put everything into it to make sure that it, it works and it is your vision. And I think to think that you have to have those in order to be successful or to at least fit what you want to do and make the product that you do, it takes a really special kind of person. And if that's you know really all there is in the wine industry is people that have that trait, it's a very energetic and driven group of people. And I think that's what really strikes me about it. So growing up around the wine industry, it's like you had incredible people. You know, they all came from different walks of life. Many of them had wine as their second option. Um, And then they just seem happier. I don't know. You talk to so many people and it's always, it's like, oh, it's a career change. It's, yeah. Can you talk about some of the early memories, either in the winery or in the vineyard that you have? Um, Yeah. So when my dad worked at Mesera, I was so used to going with him, and it's funny that waking up in the morning, um, he would always tell me that we were late when I would sleep over there, um, and we'd have to get up for work. You know, he bought me the same black beanie he had so we could hop in the car, and he always told me that we were late, and it'd still be dark outside. And think about it, it's like, my dad woke me up pretty early just to say that we're late, just so we can get to work, and we'd eat a cinnamon roll at, what's the corner coffee shop near where Kame used to be in Mac? You know what I'm talking about? I do not. <laughs> um, I think it's actually called a cornerstone or something. But um, yeah, getting out to the vineyard in Mesera and seeing all the huge compost piles and seeing how they, you know, seeing his approach to biodynamics and him telling me that there are gnomes in there because that's what, you know, that's what the steam is, is them living in their homes. It's that always stuck with me. And then going into the profession that I've kind of been doing now with farming. It's, you know, seeing the steam rise, I've always thought of that little memory, that moment. And yeah, I have a lot. I used to help out in the winery, even though I didn't do much. That was very um, <laughs> impactful to the business. But I know it's kind of, 
it's kind of like here. It's maybe people like having me around. And I know that if I worked for my dad and was there for him, he was happy for it just because I was with him. And it's the same with a lot of other people I've helped out since. So what do you like about wine? I like beer. What? Oh. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> I really like wine. Um, I really like the work that goes into it. I know that for me, I don't really... I'll drink wine, I like wine, but for me, what is really attractive to me is how much work goes into it and the, the wide range of tasks that one has to do and the knowledge that you actually pick up. And it seems so... Um, it seems so uninviting to many people and imposing and very intense just to even have like a small foothold and understanding it. Um, and I think what's amazing is staying around, is learning just a little bit more each time and no one puts you down. No one really seems to do it to prove you wrong and not really the people that I've been in contact with. And I think that's what you know I really love is there's a huge wealth of knowledge here for a group of people and if you happen to tap into it or happen to work hard enough, you know, just to work, you know, you'll learn something from it and pick it up naturally. And like I mentioned, I love just the work in it. There's something so great about getting up in the morning when no one happens to be up and you're just by yourself and you're seeing a beautiful view, whether it's here or anywhere else in the Willamette Valley, because, you know, Brooks doesn't have a monopoly on gorgeous weather, you know, great views. I, I love this place so much that I think just to work in wine means that you're realizing a different part of the world or realizing a different kind of occupation that most people don't have the, the good graces to have. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty special. Um, so do you share the same passion for Riesling as your dad had? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's just by chance. It's whenever I drank wine, it was Riesling that I really, really loved. Um, <laughs> it was funny, uh, my girlfriend's French and going to visit her, like, you know, it was really funny that when I visited her in her home, I was talking to her mom, and we're all really close, and her mom was asking me if I liked wine. I'm like, yeah, I love Riesling. And she's like, oh, like, and it surprised me to see they're very traditional because I love Riesling. That's what I just always have. And, you know, for these people to say like, oh, like we like Cabernet or we like Merlot or like those kinds of things, it was funny to hear that because the American version of those is very different from the French. And so to like try the, the California wines and be like, oh, you know, like I don't really know if I like this so much. It was really funny to voice my opinion. And just because it was German, they're like, oh, we don't like it that much. It's not a French product. So um, but yeah, I definitely love it. I think what's amazing is when I try some of my dad's Rieslings just because they're amazing. And I don't know, just they age so well and taste so great and also just think it was a product my dad labored over is amazing um, but even then you know it's listening to it's listening to anyone else talk about Riesling it's listening to people talk it's listening to like the, the possibilities the actual like character of the wine from what I understand is you know it's a lot more um, not artistic but the person's craft really comes out and when you have someone like Chris who makes it so well uh, and has so many different arrays and has a vision that you can't even tap into, but you only have the product of, it's, you can really tell. Like, I love the expression, um, and, and it's not that I don't really know this, being, you know, still separated from the industry, um, or not really like a part of the work, but it's funny, the expression, uh, we have 
we have our Pinot to support our Riesling habit, and it's just, you know, the people that have Riesling are the ones that love having it, love making it, and it's to think that, you know, it was tore out here however many years ago to make room for Pinot, or to think that some people, like my dad, really fought to have it because they loved it. Again, it's an expression of the kind of wine people want to make and what they wanted to enjoy, and it takes a passionate streak, but, yeah, for me, like, Riesling is incredible. That was my first like aha moment of wine of, of drinking. I'm like, wine's pretty good. Like, I like this a lot. That was, yeah, it was just, yeah. Do you remember which Riesling it was that was that aha moment? It was a 2007 Willamette Valley Riesling. Mm. So yeah, it was ours, but. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite memories um, with your dad? Um, I have a lot. I don't know. Uh, getting older, it's hard to think that I forget a lot. And I'm so um, inclined not to that when I do write or when I do you know, try to put anything away, it's always to remember. So my notebooks are filled with memories just because the older I get, the more I seem to move on, which is a shame. But with my dad especially, it was... Whenever I think of being happy, I think of driving um, along the Oregon coast in the winter. And I remember just being in his car and being a kid, I wanted to play my Game Boy SP, which he was like, he fought against my having. And he was like, all right, you get like an hour on it, like when we were together. And I don't know what we were doing, but I remember we would stop at different places. And of course he was doing work, but it's still such a wonderful experience. Um, in any case, it was, Playing my Game Boy SP, my dad, you know, like, told me to be with him, pay attention, and he grabbed it and threw it out the window, but pretended to. He hit it, of course, but it was just that trip of there's such a it's such a degree in the Oregon sunlight in the winter that when I see it, you know, I'll call my girlfriend or I'll talk to her. It's like, hey, like real quick, like go look outside because it's like for me, that's always the image of my happiness is. I don't know if it's because he's there or if it's because of just the event, but I know that those are my favorite memories, or just, you know, those trees, the way the sun filtered through, just driving, huge hair-bending turns, but I don't know how long we were gone, but it, you know, it seemed like a long time in my memory, so. And then what life lessons did your dad teach you? With the people that I still have, I appreciate a lot more because I know I could it doesn't always have to be that way. I don't always have the possibility um, in terms of life decisions because of... I've always argued, like, I don't know if my dad... I mean, of course, he didn't intentionally, you know, die. But it's funny wondering how I should view these lessons that were imparted as a result of his death, whether it's to think that, oh, that's another lesson he taught me or whether that's just a fact of life. When I think of the fact that anything can go under your feet, it's both anxiety-inducing as well as something to actually like catch on the coattails of. And so, you know, with my dad, I have a really close relationship with my mom as a result that a lot of people my age don't have because she had to take care of me in a way that made me realize it's like, I am really, really lucky to be who I am and to have the people that I do. And so one thing my dad taught me, and I'm always talking in this way as it's a result of his death, not just what he did. Um, I'm always thinking of, you know, making sure that I enjoy it, making sure that it's appreciated. And whether it's, you know, talking to 
people and just telling them I love them and you know having it be clunky but still like getting the point across you know if I can because it's like you know it's a two-way street it's like I could go at any time you could go at any time like I'd rather like you know and people always say seize the moment as if it's such a positive thing but seizing the moment may also just have like really like weird outcomes as a result but yeah I've definitely like made it weird with people just like saying how I felt and I think you know if I can do that and not regret it, that's something I'm so happy for. And again, that goes back to my father and thinking of it as being, you know, you don't know. Anything could happen and everyone tells you that and I hate thinking that, you know, my life follows those cliches and what I think is so true, but there is still something so, not gratifying, but knowing that I have the chance now to do what I otherwise might not later. And, you know, thinking about it, it could be anything. So that's what his death taught me. But at the same time, my father followed in kind of a similar philosophy of just, from what I understand of him and from what I know of him, is it was just, you know, he didn't really let fear get in the way, even though he feared things. And I know that's the same thing with me, whether he taught it to me or not. But he had this drive that when people talked about him, when I read his journals, when I see pictures, you know, like people always describe it as his grin. And that's how I was. I always view myself that way, and I see that in my dad. It's like, you know, if you have a devilish grin, you're kind of cooking something up. Like, you're not really sitting on your hands. It's you're, you're still moving, and it's not because you're afraid to slow down. It's just because you're, you're just trying to do what you can when you can. Like, you're not letting anything get past you. And so, you know, he taught me unintentionally through how other people talked about him, through how he talked about himself, that... You know, if you have that energy, if you realize what's at stake, if you realize the limits, you know, you, you can do a lot more than you otherwise think you can. And, you know, granted there are limits to that, but at the same time, I think you can at least surpass some of the limits that you put on yourself. And so that's what I strive for, or thinking about my dad, like I know that that was a lot of, not necessarily his MO, but I, I understand that he wouldn't let himself get in the way of what he wanted. And that's how part of the winery started. That's how he made friends. And, you know, that's how he was a polarizing character. And it's like, you know, you either love him or you hate him and it, you can decide pretty quick. And I mean, maybe that's excessive, but, you know, if you have such a, if you have a character like he did, it's like, if you don't like, if you don't like him, tough. And I try to embody that because, well, I try to be that way, with or without my dad being that. But I know that to, to think that we may share something like that, that I don't want to limit myself with what I want to do, it's, we'd have some pretty cool conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Jimmy often said that he wanted Brooks to be a family legacy. Did you ever feel pressure to take that on? I never felt pressure with him. Um, of course, with his passing, the winery getting bigger, um, it was all like ever since like I was a kid, ever since that happened, it was always a question of, do you want to do this? And Janie and Chris, um, they did mean it, and they did say it, like always saying to other people, it's like, well, we don't ever want to push him. Like We'll give him his own, his own liberties. Like, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to do this, great. And you know, they, they practiced what they preached, which was awesome. But there's still some sort of, you know, at this point, like the winery has been so far along that I, that I have it here if I want. But you know, my dad only had the winery for six years, and 
you know, Janie's now going through her, or Janie and Chris are now going through their 14th harvest if it's just after his passing. And so, you know, they don't really do it for me or him anymore. I mean, like maybe a part of it is, but now it's like, this is its own thing. It's its own powerhouse. It's its own entity in the Valley. And it makes an amazing product. Like now we have abilities we never could have dreamed of even five years ago. And so anyway, um, I've felt the pressure for myself of being like, well, you have this incredible opportunity. Like, why would you let this go to waste? So many people are so, you know, haven't been born with like under the right stars. And so I felt it that way, but never from other people. And with my dad, you know, I remember working harvest with him and, or maybe like a day or two, I don't know how long I actually did it, and wearing a sweatshirt and, and I was wearing it at school and it had wine stains on it. It didn't look good. And my dad picked me up. He's like, I know what those are. He's like, yeah, that's like a, that's a badge of honor. Like he was kind of doing that thing and yeah. And so with him, it was never him telling me like, you have to do this. My dad, like my mom, after he passed, were just, you know, really interested and dedicated to my being a kid um, or supporting me. So they don't have to worry or so I don't have to worry. And so no, I never felt pressure from him. I think the thing I love about this industry and about him is that it was very inclusive, even though he still forced me to go to the winery with him. Like, when I was there as a kid, I hated being there because, well, I didn't hate it, but I got bored. So I would just, you know, hang out, sit, help him. But you can't really do much when you're five or six years old. Um, but I know he loved my company, so it wasn't that much of an issue for him. But, um, yeah, I never personally from him felt the pressure or uh, pressure to follow through with this. I think he himself was still getting off his feet, so it wasn't so much, um, I think maybe that was the long-term goal and maybe Jenny, Janie helped, um, God, I'm tired. <laughs> Janie helped kind of actualize the process or actualize this product into being what it is, um, as did Chris. But I don't think it was so much of he you know, he's trying to think of my taking over the responsibility. I think so much of, you know, he's he's building what's otherwise his legacy, even though he's not trying to build his legacy. It's just a product of and. Um, so, twelve winemakers helped Brooks, as you know, um, through the two thousand four harvest, and your aunt Janie continued the winery for you to have if you were ever ready. Um, what's it like having the Oregon wine community community devoted to preserving it all for you? Um. I think it goes back to what I was saying about um, Janie and Chris now doing it a lot more for the, the enterprise itself than I think it is for me. And so with that, I don't really think they do it for me, you know, kind of steward it. I think they helped us get off our feet and really, you know, helped even thereafter. But I don't want to say that they, they do it. Well, no, it's not that I don't want to say they do anything for us. I don't want to say that, you know, they helped, and this is a community, and people are there for each other. And for those people, you know, they were there because losing my dad was a loss to them or to the industry, and, you know, or at least just on a personal level. And I think, you know, to make something and to help with something they love, it wasn't a question. It's like doing anything that you love for someone. Um, and I think, I think that's what is kind of, you know, a testament to this place is people are just good people, it is a community and, you know, people aren't looking to one-up each other, they're all looking to make wine and it is, it's not, I mean, like, 
people talk. They're all to, like, they're not necessarily all together, but they are serving together for their interests. They're trying to protect their passions. They're trying to help each other. You know, like we buy fruit from each other. Everyone talks in that sort of way. Everyone eats dinner. Everyone knows each other's names, and it's always like. You know, you think about it, and you have so many people in an area, and you can try so many different wines, and so it's amazing to know the community exists, and people helped us, and I'm sure at certain points we'll help other people, or I would hope that we do, and it's not so much paying it forward or paying it back, it's just we do it out of a labor of love, which so many people describe this industry to be, you know, where I said it takes an obsessive trait to work doggedly or to, to know you have so much writing on this, but still want to make it. And so anyway, you know, we had 12 people come together and we wouldn't be here without them. And that's just the simple fact. And we don't have to be here. And yet at the same time, it's, we're still following his passion. We're still following our own passion. So it's still, you know, it's pretty incredible to say the least. Can you talk about um, your Aunt Janie and um, how she has had an influence on your life and your relationship to this winery? Mm -hmm. um, before my dad died, I saw Janie a couple of times, but it was never... I would never see Janie this much, I don't think, or have this close relationship or know her that well. Like, you know, to actually sit and think of if my dad was still around and how I would know Janie, I would know Janie as my aunt, you know, we would talk. But now we, it's a very different relationship. It's like, you know, like my mom's my mom, but it's like having another figure with whom you know you talk about, like you catch up with. It's like she's not an aunt and she's not a mom. She's just this her own powerful figure um, in my life. And so it's yeah, you know, she kind of took up the plate and and made her put herself where she was needed once my dad died, both in the in the industry and in my life, and you know. This place isn't so much about my dad anymore, or me, as it is about her and Chris, and, you know, but that's not to say it's not a, you know, a story that is our origins, or just still something I think about on a daily business, or a daily basis outside of the winery, it's just, Janie herself is a force to be reckoned with, but never something so much, like, out of danger, but, you know, she's now become a... Uh, the figure here, like in the Oregon wine community, in, in a, as a spokesperson for Oregon wine outside of Oregon, I think, you know, she's learned so much and she now has so much influence and she's still learning and she's built something incredible and I know for a fact that my dad's winery wouldn't be here if it wasn't without her. It, it couldn't be. And I think what's amazing is just to think that with Janie, you know, but it's not her, well, we're just, uh, if it wasn't Janie, it, no one else could do it. You know, Janie is just so industrious. She's, you know, maybe it's just because they were brother and sister that they had some of the same kind of, you know, sensibilities. But I mean, even though she's better at business, um, it's as much her winery as it is his. So why do you think people are so interested in the origin of Brooks Winery and um, the events that happened through it? I think it's because we tell, um, you know, that's our story. That's how we tell it. And it is weird to think that my dad only made wine for Brooks for six years and here we are going into our 14th harvest, as I mentioned. And it is weird to think how disproportionate that is, and maybe now we're trying to figure out like our next step, even though the important thing is making wine, image second. Um, 
And I don't know. I think a large part is like that's. I don't want to say our gimmick, but you know, it's like that's us. You know, everyone knows it's like that's as a result of. And I think especially if you appreciate the difference, my dad was doing to the difference Chris and Janie make. Like you know, yeah, like you you know, it's seeing from where you came from. It's not being like oh this was his company. You know, like that kind of thing. It's just being this winery, this product, this influence that we may have um, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that change in ownership or. If you know where we came from, you can appreciate how much more, how, or what we are now, what we've become. And so that's the point I was trying to get across. If it's just, <laughs> like I mentioned, it wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be like it is. We wouldn't have the influence. We wouldn't have the product. But you know, we still have the passion. But we've had time, and we've been there as the industry has changed, and we've made part of it change. And you know, I think that's what's so. Incredible is just knowing my dad wouldn't do that. My dad couldn't do that, and you can't even compare anymore. It's like people ask, or I may wonder, like, you know, if I had a dad, and it's like you, you can't ask those questions. It's so outside of your reality that you you don't know. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are, and our origin story is where we come from, and yet at the same time, it's still so much of maybe coming to terms with the past, but it's very distant from the fact of you know my father's passing. And so in any case. Um, we're here, and we're here as a result of it, and it's paying homage to who we are. Yeah. So, what was it like being a part of the American Wine Story? Uh, the film? Yeah, the documentary. Um, it was very, from the standpoint of being 14 at the time, it was. I've never been interviewed for anything. I was still wondering about my body image, and suddenly seeing myself and not knowing my my voice, I was like, "Whoa, this is weird." And so, you know, narcissist dream. Um, yeah, anyway, it was it was cool. Uh, David was a really nice guy. Um, watching everything, it was really cool. I really liked the way that they... My dad was a person, and I think what's really difficult for people... I mean, you know, it's our origin story. That's how we talk about it. And I think when we talk about it, it's very... You can't really, like, say his flaws or, like, some of like, the funny things that happened about my dad. Um, without losing customers and so it's hard <laughs> to make the point that you know he, he was also a person and not necessarily just a tragedy and so anyway I really liked the way that David Baker did it because it still kind of falls in the fact of it's you know never say a bad word of the dead um, not that my dad was bad or there's much to say that's bad but the how a lot of people talk about him is very different from who I know and who I remember and for me there's a difference in people who knew my dad and people that, you know, that didn't, and that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with either. Um, but in either case, I liked how David portrayed him. It was very, you know, I don't know, like, it's a, maybe a good direction for, like, where he was going. I felt bad, I was like, whoa, that's weird that, you know, we're talking about my dad or I'm on the screen so much, but, um, yeah, you just, you know, in terms of maybe making a point of, what his aim was and what he was trying to portray, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I liked his portrayal. I thought David was a really great guy. I thought he was very respectful with that. Um, I know I was upset with some of the other portrayals that may have happened around that time. And he just, yeah, he was a great guy and you knew what he was going with and he wasn't, you know, he was actually trying to tell a story and it was, it was good. Uh, do you have like any specific questions of the American Wine Story or like? No. Is there anything else you want to go in on? <coughs> for that? 
No. But it was pretty cool, you know, realizing like, oh, I'm in a movie, but then also being like, don't make a big deal out of it, like <laughs> worry about being a person or be funny or like that kind of thing, and then mm-hmm. then worry about the fact that you're in a movie, and so like, it was it was weird. It was cool at the same time. It's like I still don't really know how to think about it when you have people that were there and like people. Yeah. It was awesome to see some of my dad's friends interviewed. It was. It was great to think that you know he tried to get the story for what he was trying to capture. I think as soon as he like started talking to us and walked in, he's like, "Oh, this is a much bigger picture than I had in mind." And mm. it's cool because in that respect, he he actually like rather than taking it at face value or surface value, he like you know he actually tried to go in and understand my dad as best he could and understand the influence, understand the person. And it's like you know when he talks about him, it's you know. You can't really encapsulate a person that you know for so many people like did feel it was such a loss. And so when David talks about him, it's like he tries to make the fact it's a it's a very large figure. You can't get the point. So yeah, I don't know. It's cool. Um, so do you think you want to join the organ wine industry? Um, yeah, it's seeming more and more attractive to me. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's the same question I've always been asked. So it's something, and it's not that it's not, you know, a worthy question. I think it's people ask it because it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to make conversation, but to actually be like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Um, <laughs> I know if I want to do it, it'd be for the work. I think I just love, you know, I haven't gotten a full taste of the work. I haven't gotten any of the hard things out of the way. Like, you know, there's one thing to work for a day or two. It's another thing to work day in, day out, day in, day out during like the peak of harvest. And so um, I know if I'd want to, it'd be really just for the community and for the work and, you know, the amazing food. Um, But then I also know how much work goes into it and how much that, you know, may otherwise, you know. I know that I would have to live a lot of my life beforehand before I ever decided to make a commitment like this. And it's in good hands and I don't mean it to be like I'd show up and immediately be like, yeah, like I'm ready to take the keys. It'd be more, it's like, you know, I would want to enjoy, I'd want to figure out if there's anything else that I want to do in life. And if it happens to be that winemaking is what I want to pursue, um, then I know that I'm going to have to work my way from the top. I think this is an industry that's incredible because you can't show up. Title doesn't mean much for the people that you actually respect. It's how hard can you work? Can you make something that, you know, like, not a matter of like, oh, like, does it impress me? It's a matter of like, does it show off what you're trying to go for? And so I think there's still so much that's incredible about this industry that you can't find anywhere else that I would love to. I'd be honored. I would hope that I do well by my dad's name, by my own standards, by that of other people. And so, yeah. But then again, like, I do work outside of outside of the winery, like when I'm in school, like working on a farm or, um, you know, helping out like on different places and just trying to learn and like even making booze myself, like just because it's something I want to learn. It's something that I grew up with. It was something that, you know, is so cool. And once you kind of get a taste for it, you realize it's really accessible. Like it's not that hard. It's just really perfecting and tailoring everything to your, your interests. And so if this is where I end up, I'm lucky and I'm trying to, pursue a lot of a lot of the same sort of vein because I know that that's where I come from and that was the interest that was ingrained in me and so you know I already have an idea for what kind of jobs I want to work and what kind of jobs I don't want to work what part of the wine industry interests you the most is it winemaking being in the vineyard or it's actual production 
Um, but then again, there's so many good people already doing it that it's, again, the same situation that if I go in there, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm really fine making a name for myself and not having to write off of this one. You know, if I'm going to do it, I want to work. You know, I could have any open door, but I don't want to be like, oh, the, you know, the spoiled owner's son from that place. It's like, if I'm going to go into it, title isn't going to mean much. And so, yeah, I love production. That's, that's always like production and, and, and winemaking or production and um, actual vineyard work has always been my interest. And that's because my dad did it. And, you know, he also had the trouble of, of selling the wine. And, you know, I could be good at talking to people when I'm awake. But I know that <laughs> for me, like, to be quiet, to be cold, to hurt, to get your workout in, and to feel like you actually deserve, you know, eating a huge amount of food because you, you know, worked a little bit through lunch and you're, you know, you just need to pick me up. Like for me, that feels really satisfying. It feels really like you earned something or that you earned something for yourself. And so I know for me, and it's not to say that the people that sell mine don't, I just say, no, for me, like that's the kind of work that, you know, there's like the actual process involved, the qualities involved, um, the experience. It's, it's what I love. And then, so what do you think is the future at Brooks Winery? Um, I think the future of here is the future of maybe a lot of places in the valley. Um, I think Oregon has changed so much that, you know, Janie was really enterprising and um, she made, like now you see so many people going out to Oregon, you know, and not saying that she was the land of Benedict, but, you know, now it's an experience. It's like the Brooks experience. It's not so much, you know, we used to sit at the old winery and have great wine, but you know, no one really drove through. We'd sit days waiting for someone just to <laughs> stop by and be like, oh, a tasting room. And so I think the industry is changing so much that we'll see. But, you know, Janie and Chris have been on top of it from day one and influenced some part of the industry that for them, you know, I'm sure they can ride out the storm. And it's not saying that there's like a storm coming, but it's like they've always worked through it. They've always, you know, we're not expanding anymore. We're now just trying to perfect and get comfortable and work from year to year. And so, yeah, we're still so young here. We're still figuring out where we are, what kind of experience. Um, this is still a place, or maybe was up until a little bit ago, where small producers could actually make and try to follow their passion. And so I hope that remains. And, you know, yeah. So I talked instead about the, the changing of the industry or from what I see or from what I understand or what I hear. and. It's, it's different, and I think for the future of Brooks, it's now maybe getting comfortable in our own skin and making a little bit of a different, or making a, a legacy or an identity that's a little bit outside of just my dad. And so, yeah. And then what do you think is it the future um, for the Oregon wine industry in general? Well, you can't ask me that. I'm not oh, really okay. a part of it. Oh, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. You see the valley being developed a little bit. Um, you see a lot of people tearing out, you know, fruit that doesn't really do well for for grapes. And so, you know, you see changes, but I don't really know what that means apart from maybe there are going to be a lot of changes and a lot more of the settling of the um, settling of the west or settling of the Willamette Valley because people have discovered it, now it is being seen, now people are coming out to hear for it, whereas before it was very, and maybe that's just what I want to believe, or maybe what I happen to remember, but where it was very different, like where you could have small producers make it, where you could have friends get together and trade secrets, 
um, just for the small amount of wine that they produce themselves in their basements or in the small, like on the side lots when they're working for their, you know, larger winery. And so, I don't know, we'll see. Do you have um, any idea what the future of Riesling in the Valley is going to be? Um, on that I could say even less, but <laughs> the people that like Riesling, I think like Riesling. And we have so many different selections just from such a small local area that it shows what's possible. And, you know, maybe people are liking Riesling more often. I think people are definitely making the attempt to, like the ones that really love it, the ones that are in the industry of like, you know, actually distribu or distributing it and make, having tastings. Um, and showing off what the Willamette Valley has to offer because what places can grow Riesling and Pinot and stuff I mean well, there is that place but at the same time it's like it's incredible to think that we now have something that can produce so much with someone who knows what they're doing and so the future of Riesling like I think it's established I think it's here and you know we'll see um, are there any challenges in the future that you're thinking as a person, as a young person, maybe joining the industry to look out for, like climate change or anything like that? Yeah, I think about that. Um, like right now, my school, like I'm in school for um, sustainable agriculture. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, but at the same time, like what I think about is there's a reason why French producers are buying land in England. It's because they're trying to anticipate what's what may be coming, or what I think is, not what I think, what, what is coming. And so, we'll see. I think there's still so, like, that's gonna affect so much more than the wine industry that, you know, everyone has to stay in business, you hope people don't go under, but that'll affect so much more than just that, so, it's not to make wine, the impact on wine small, it's maybe to make a point of, you know, there's gonna be, a lot more issues we're gonna be facing or a lot more that's gonna make things difficult and you know, you have to wonder how this place will change with people moving, with water use, with you know, if the grapes can survive here anymore or something like that. And so yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. Right now we're doing well, but of course you have to think for the future. As a young person also, um, maybe just as an individual you know, going into the wine industry, if I am working, if I'm doing that kind of thing, I'd want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm not, that I can be like my dad and the fact of being the kind of person he was and being, you know, making my own identity. And so anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot to look out for in the future. But this valley has been here a lot longer before we ever have and who knows, maybe we'll open up some amazing new places to grow wine as well. But. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? We just went through all the questions. Um, no, nothing on my mind. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.